Welcome back to STEM Fatal, your yeah. women in science history woo, podcast. Woo, 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 woo. I'm Emily Kremlin. I'm Emma Dilemma. And we're here. And we're nearing the end of our dissertations. Uh, <laughs> I was like, where? it's got to go somewhere, yeah, but this, I don't know where. It's where it went. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It's yeah, true. It's true. We're approaching. It's all happening. Somehow. Good. <laughs> Okay, Emlyn. Yeah. As usual, no. What's it straight to business? As usual, straight to business. We are boss women with no time to spare. <laughs> Can't just have chit chat. We do all the chit chat off air. I know. We just chit chatted for an hour. <laughs> now, no time for small talk. No. <laughs> Gotta get to it. All right, Emlyn. I know you know who this lady is. Well, now there's a lot of pressure because if I forget no, her name. you do. You okay. know. Because. You know. We've talked. We've both almost done the, uh, chosen this woman multiple times. Good choice of yeah. words. <laughs> but every time I think we each separately have gone to try to talk about this woman. Hedy Lamar. Yeah. Yes! <laughs> We've been like, ah, oh, the story's maybe too tragic. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited for a whirlwind. I'm excited to learn about... It is a whirlwind. Waves of energy. Is that true? Uh, I mean, I didn't really talk about <laughs> okay, that, good. to be I'm honest. I'm excited to not learn about that. Yeah. Okay. I'm excited for whatever <laughs> you've got for me. Yeah, well, today's one... Hedy then... Lamar. Did I say Heidi Lamar? Or you said Hedy okay. Lamar. No, yeah. I can't, I can't remember anything. Yeah, today's woman of the hour is mm. Hedy Lamar, which she is not British no. or anything, but she was a Hollywood actress who acted in over 35 movies, has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, was often referred to as the most beautiful woman in the world, and invented, in her spare time, for funsies, Invented a technology that it was necessary for the invention of Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and GPS. Nice. Yeah. All things. Well, some of those things I use. What don't you use? Well, no, I use all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I use some as in yeah. all of those things. I mean, things. Bluetooth, I guess, maybe not all the time. All the time. If you have a speaker or something, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. No, all the time. Okay. Yeah. You do use all of them. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah, so, yes, we've both maybe avoided this at first mm-hmm. because we were looking for more positive stories and parts of her life are a little dramatic and sad, yeah. but I hope I didn't... I think it comes around. Okay. Yeah. All right. So... <laughs> Either way, like, you can't... Yeah, we'll just... This is the real... Some people's lives are dramatic. Tell me. Okay. Are we ready? I'm so ready. Yes. Great. Um, oh yeah, and I should say off right off the bat, this a lot of this info comes from the documentary that's on Netflix oh. called Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story. Nice. And it's really good. And I was like, Oh, I guess I could watch this for research. And mm-hmm. then I was like, Oh, this is great. Like I actually <laughs> wanted to watch nice. it. Nice. 
So I really liked it. Anyway, highly recommend. So Hedwig, her full name, mm. uh, Hedwig Eva Maria uh, Kiesler was born November 9th, 1914 in Vienna, which at that point was Austria-Hungary, mm-hmm. but now Vienna-Austria, you know. I read um, about a fifth of a bibliography on her. Mm-hmm. So some of this will... I got... They started talking about music and then I, I stopped. Oh. oh, the piano part? I don't know. Okay. Well, maybe I'm, we'll I'm get there. I'm confused what that is, actually. <laughs> yeah, you could tell me what you know already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um... I was actually afraid you'd already watch the whole documentary no, I and then would be like, am I know this already? But that would, and then I was like, that'd be kind of a bummer of a pod if you were just like, yeah, I already know yeah. all this. Yeah. If I was just <laughs> like super sour. Bad, like, <laughs> Emma, you're dynamic. wasting my time. Yeah. Like, why are you even talking about this? Emma, okay. tell me something I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <Attitude>. <laughs> so, I mean, I've got so much attitude. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. So yeah, Vienna, 1914, little Hedwig is born to... What a cute name. Yeah, Hedwig is an awesome name. I've only heard of it for Harry Potter. So my uh, first... Hedwig and the Angry Inch? Never. Musical? Yes. Yeah. But I don't know It's a crazy musical. Yeah. It's awesome. Okay. I'll get in it. To parents, Emil and Gertrude Kiesler, who, um, some... I think they were both Jewish, but some one thing I read said her mother was Catholic. I don't know. I think she was raised Jewish for the most part, okay. but it's confusing for reasons I'll get into gotcha. in a bit. Okay. But I know her father was Jewish and her, her some of her heritage mm-hmm. at least was, which is important, obviously, because she's living in Vienna in 1914. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Foreboding, yeah. one might say. Um, her interests in invention started at a young age. She loved taking things apart and putting them back together. And there's kind of like a classic story of her doing this with a music box that her son still has. And, and her and Grace that. Hopper could really destroy a bunch of stuff together. Yeah, and put it back together. Yeah, but there's also like a weird story. I'll tell it later because it's not when she's little. Okay. Anyway. Pins she and needles. just was always doing things like uh, tinkering mm-hmm. with things, essentially very busy, like nice. to keep very busy. Her father worked as a bank director, but in his spare time was similarly interested in inventions, okay. which is where I think she got a lot of that love for inventions mm-hmm. and figuring things out from. And um, in her in her whole life, like he was uh, maybe like the only. He was like her true love kind. I mean, not in like a creepy sense. (laughs) That's the worst. Wait. (laughs) Maybe rephrase. Maybe. I don't know how to say this without sounding creepy, though. They were very close. I mean, he was like the only. No, just take that out. No, I'm keeping it in. I'm keeping it in that her father's love of her life. There's no way I'm taking that out. I mean. It was like she just really loved him, uh-huh. and he was maybe the only man in her life that, that got her. Yeah, that ev- that she ever like loved deeply. I guess okay. that sounds creepy too. I will t- just take it out. No, no, it's 
Now I can't say anything else about him without sounding <laughs> weird. Okay. I feel like this happens a lot. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. They would go for walks and he would always like point out how things worked. So mm-hmm. he also just liked knowing how stuff worked, like mechanical things. And let's see. And one of her favorite subjects in school when she was young was chemistry. But she also really loved acting. Okay. And as she got a little bit older, she became more interested in the arts and especially in living kind of the glamorous romantic life of an artist Mm -hmm. yeah at 16 she she had really developed an interest in acting yes (laughs) i wasn't sure what you were sorry yeah yes um and so and she really wanted to work on a set but she had to go to school okay right so she, one day, there was, like, a movie set that she would walk by a lot, like, to and from her way to school or just around town or something. Okay. And one day, she forged a note from her mother to get out of school and went into the studio and asked for a job mm-hmm. as, like, someone who worked on scripts or something like that. And and the director, like, studio person, whoever was in charge thought she was, like, so beautiful, which is kind of the story of her life. Yeah. Like, everyone was always amazed by her beauty. Mm-hmm. And and that was, like, all they saw of her, essentially. But he gave her a role almost immediately in a movie that he was shooting. All right. Yeah. And after that, she starred in multiple films in Europe, in small roles mostly. Mm-hmm. But... You know, she was getting acting experience and she dropped out of school and her parents were initially kind of like, don't drop out of school. But her dad was like, eh, I don't think this will work out anyway. So yeah, he'll so just she, go back to school. Yeah. But obviously he was wrong because she went on to become a famous actress. Anyway, in 1933, so she's 19 at this point. Mm-hmm. She starred in a film called Ecstasy. I've heard about. <laughs> yeah, you probably read, I read this. Yeah, I got to this point. Yeah. yeah. In which she appeared naked, and that was pretty racy for the time. And um, she also simulated an orgasm, but was kind of tricked into doing that by the director of the movie. We're really getting into new territory here at Stumpdoll. Yeah, that's the part. That's it. I'm not saying no, that no, word just... ever again on the podcast. Oh. Just ever again. Yeah. Um, but it was a. I just had so to tricked say by it. the. Like, the director kind of was like, oh, make this face and that face. Uh, okay. And then he kind of, like, uh, put all these pieces together into... To make it look like... Yeah. While she was, like... Yeah, so... Gotcha. She was sort of... She always says that she was tricked into that part of it, at Gotcha. Least. Yeah. And so this was, you know, 1933, very racy for yeah. the time. The Pope denounced the movie because of the, its sexual imagery. Uh-huh. Um, Hitler refused it to be shown because the lead actress was Jewish. Maybe this was a little bit later, but he was at least like becoming more powerful uh-huh. by that time. And even in the U.S., it was banned for quite a while, but eventually they let it be like the government or something was like okay you can show this in theaters or something and um with that Hedy Lamar became world famous oh man yeah but 
You know, it led her at least, at the very least, to be, it was kind of like a sex tape of the time. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was, like, shot her into stardom around mm-hmm. the world. Like, people recognized her as this, like, beautiful woman with dark hair and, like, yeah. Anyway, pretty crazy. She's 19. That'd be a crazy thing for people to know you for. Like, yeah. there's nothing, like, it's wrong not even, with it. It's yeah. just, like, that is a... Uh, an interesting thing to be known for. Yeah, nowadays that's that would be like a blip, you know, yeah. but then it was this huge deal essentially. Okay. Um around that same time, so at the age of 19, she entered into her first marriage with a munitions/armaments manufacturing tycoon. So he made weapons um or he owned, com- you know, factories that made weapons uh-huh. uh named Fritz Mandel or Mandel who was 14 years older than her. And despite also being Jewish, he eventually became allied with the Nazis, like about, you know, a couple years into their marriage. And uh-huh. um, That seems bad. Yeah. That seems like a made, conflict of interest in a marriage. Made, like, armaments for oh, the Nazis no. and things, and was kind of... You know, even Hitler knew that he was Jewish, and apparently Hitler would not come to their house. Mm-hmm. But people like Benito Mussolini and other Nazis would dine with them pretty regularly. Wow. So early on, like, um, Hetty kind of had to hide that part of her life, yeah. her being Jewish and that part of her heritage. She kind of stopped recognizing it or talking mm-hmm. about it, really. Um, he was also very paranoid that all men wanted her, which as the star who was like kind of a sex symbol yeah. in a sense might have been a little bit true, but still not, but thought she was having affairs all the time. She did have some affairs, yeah, <laughs> and she, but also wouldn't let her leave the house. Okay. I mean, the thing yeah, is, is like, is you bad. can have like... Maybe she's the fantasy of a lot of guys, but there's it takes two to tango, yeah. so you don't trust. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's she, it's he doesn't trust her. No, he doesn't trust her, and essentially became like her jailer almost oh at like some point. And she at first thought, at first their marriage was really fun. Like mm-hmm. they would have all these people to the house because he had a lot of connections, and she liked being the wife who like helped prepare these dinners and entertain and things. Mm -hmm. But after a while, it became very cooped up feeling. And especially once he became more and more allied with the Nazis and her father died, like in this time uh as well, she was just like, I need to leave. Like Vienna became suffocating for her essentially, even though it was this place she like loved growing up. With the help of friends, she figured out a way to, Poured a bunch of money nice. and her jewels. Nice. And, um, you know, the story goes, at least, it's hard to say how true this is. Some things say it's true. Some say it's she made it up. Uh-huh. I think parts of it are true. Yeah. Okay. But she basically hoarded a bunch of money and jewels. She says she sewed them into coats and um, clothing and then dressed up as a maid and escaped from the house. One night. Oh my god. And uh, traveled pretty quickly to Paris where he found out and was going to like come after her and get her and whatnot. But she eventually made it to London and 
and he decided not to go after her, and she just stayed with a friend there for a little while. That's crazy. I know. Her life is, like, insane. It's really interesting. Okay. And there, she ran into someone she had met before through various acting connections, an American film agent, uh, Louis B. Mayer. Okay. Who was a big, like... Uh, he was part of MGM. Gotcha. Yeah. One of the M's. I forget what the other oh. one is. Yeah. Like he owns this huge movie production company. An, or- an OGM. Yeah. Yeah. And he was in Europe looking for actors and actresses that were current, that were trying to escape Nazi Germany. Gotcha. Because he knew he could pay them pretty, very little to come to America and act for him, essentially. Cause they it's were, not as noble I as I had hoped. Yeah. And she initially said no thanks to his offer because uh-huh. he wasn't going to pay her enough. But um, but she thought about it some more. She decided to get on the boat back to America that she knew he was traveling on. Okay. And he eventually upped his offer. Okay. To $500 a week, which was much higher than what he'd initially offered, and she accepted. And in that boat ride, they decided her name to change her name from Keesler to Lamar, which would be her stage mm-hmm. name for the rest of her life, basically. And it's worth noting she didn't know any English at this point, but was going to America to act in American movies in That's Hollywood. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And at first she had a hard time getting parts more than, like, they didn't give her a lot of, like, really interesting roles right away. And almost they almost didn't ever give her super interesting roles because she was put into this category of a sex symbol, yeah. not um, it doesn't need to be an leading, interesting. Yeah. yeah, like even when she had leading roles, they were often like she was just a sexy lady yeah. rather than intelligent or like someone you would marry or mm-hmm. something, right? But she met Charles Boyer or Boyer. I don't know if he's French or American. You know who was smitten with her and gave her a part in his movie Algiers, which was one of her first big Hollywood movies, and made her a star a little bit more well-known in America and Hollywood. So men and women then started really becoming obsessed with her as, like, this symbol of beauty. Okay. Yeah. Around this time is when, like, uh, I think it was, like, Disney, you know, was making snow white and he mm-hmm. like used pictures of her to, oh like, yeah and a few other women uh-huh. to kind of yeah because she does look kind of like snow white yeah. it's really crazy okay around that time as well she married a screenwriter jean markey who she was madly in love with they adopted a son but within months of getting married he had started dating other women which is <laughs> not a good sign no Unless that's what you want, and then that's fine. But if that's not it's the just, agreement... Her whole life is ups and downs, really. It's, yeah. It's pretty intense. It's like a movie, like a Hollywood yeah. movie, really. So now we're talking 1940. Um, she was not super happy because her fame was subsiding yet again. She didn't like her husband. <laughs> so she went to Louis B. Mayer and asked for a part in Boomtown, which turned into a pretty big movie and she got a part in it and stuff um 
And so after this movie, they had her starring in a ton of big name movies. Like MGM started putting her in a lot of movies. Um, And she was working super long days, like six days a week. The studios would, and to do this, it turns out the studios would give actresses speed. Oh, God. Speed to wake them up and sleeping pills to put them to bed. Like, they were kind of robots. And this was true for, like, Catherine Hepburn, like, all these other big actresses at the time, I think. It was just, they didn't know, they just didn't know that speed was, like, this hugely addictive, Mm -hmm. like, make your teeth fall out kind of, like, drug. (laughs) Is speed related to meth? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's an amphetamine. Gotcha. Yeah. No bueno. Yeah. No, no, no. So, Hetty, after working these long hours, would not go home and go to bed. I'm guessing because she was on a ton of amphetamines. Yeah. So, she would go home and work on her latest inventions. Okay. Well, which... maybe we should all be on speed. <laughs> I know. Hey, I know people who are, and they get a lot done. Yeah. Which, but I don't promote that because it's really, really bad yeah. for you. Super bad. <laughs> She, okay, at the same, around the same time, she was meeting a lot of big names, like politicians and stuff, Mm -hmm. too. Um, She met and dated uh, the big, big, the big millionaire, billionaire airplane designer, Howard Hughes. Oh. Like, of Howard Hughes Medical Institute. Of Howard Hughes, a famous recluse in old age. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's a pretty eccentric dude, which... Does not surprise me. Yeah, they don't think they ever would. At least in the in the documentary and some other things I read, it was like they. She probably wasn't super into him, but they both liked inventing things okay. and like just had this similar love of like invention and creation. That's fun. That's a yeah, good just like thing a to mind have in connection. Yeah. So she was fascinated by his work and went to his factories where she met a lot of his scientists. Okay. And he told her that if she wanted them to do anything, they would do it. And he, like, gave her invention kits to work with in her movie trailer and at home and stuff so that she could, like, stimulate her mind. Yeah. Yeah. But, for instance, she, once she was, one day while she was visiting one of his factories, she thought his airplane wings were too square or rectangular, Mm -hmm. and that would slow down the planes. So she bought a book about birds and a book about fish and figured out which birds and the fish were the fastest and then made a combo of their fin wing design um, and gave it to him as a new, more aerodynamic airplane wing idea. Love it. And he was like, you're a genius. You're a wonderful person. This is one of the stories I was like, did this happen? Yeah. But I think it did, but who knows, like... I'll believe it. I don't don't think she designed the wings, but she was really... Maybe changed how they thought about, like, where to get inspiration. She also, at this time, this was so random, she made a tablet that would fizz up and make cola. Oh, so it's, like a dr- it's a instant yeah. instant soda. Yeah, so you so like soldiers or something mm. who don't can't just carry around a bunch of Coca Cola with them could like make water into cola by nice. putting this tablet in it, which was so she just like worked with this worked on this with two chemists in one of Howard Hughes's lab, <laughs> which is like when did she have time to do this? She worked six days a week. That seventh day, <laughs> yeah. 
all the time she wasn't sleeping, basically. In the meantime, her home country was being destroyed, right? So this is 1940, yeah. 1941. And she um, she also wasn't allowed to talk about her Jewish background. So Louis B. Mayer was like, I don't want people to know that you're Jewish or something. Why? But she also just hid it. for the, Like, okay. her own children didn't even know she was Jewish until later in their lives. Oh, man. Which, they're not born at this point, but... Um, Didn't they adopt a kid? What about that kid? Yeah, that's an interesting story. (laughs) I forget if I put it in here if I was like, this is weird and I took it out. I'm not sure what what that kid's up to at this point. At at this point or at this point? No, like at this point in the story, there's no reference to him. There's a reference to him later and it's like, huh, what was he doing those 11 years? Yeah. Guess it's okay. Yeah. Um, But Hetty's mother had been able to flee Austria to London, so she was safe. Um, But Hetty was still preoccupied with uh, the war, essentially, with World War II. And in thinking about this, she, in, in some of, some things I read said she was probably inspired by you know, having lived with an armaments designer, like Mm -hmm. an manufacturer, she had probably sat in on a lot of meetings where she learned a lot about the types of torpedoes and weapons the Germans were using Mm -hmm. against uh, U.S. and other countries or planning to use. But she she came up with an idea for a new sort of radio-controlled torpedo. Okay. So this is a... A torpedo that the launching boat or an airplane could communicate with um, without the... So, like, just in general, you know, submarines have to communicate with a torpedo to tell it where to go. Okay. But you... Other... The enemy can jam signals between radio-controlled torpedoes and the thing controlling them. If they, like, play a frequency that interferes with the frequencies communicating gotcha. the signal. Gotcha. I don't know how else to describe this type of thing. I gotcha. It's, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. She wanted to make a torpedo that a launching boat could communicate with without the risk of getting the signal jammed by the enemy. Okay, gotcha. And so... And she figured out a way that you could guide the torpedo without the signal being interrupted through a process called frequency hopping, which is the invention she is most well known for. Gotcha. And the essential idea behind this is that if you change the frequencies of the signals Mm -hmm. every second or something, the other side can't interrupt that frequency by using just a single signal gotcha. they would have to know the exact pattern of signals you were using to be able to interrupt it gotcha yeah it's i mean this might not be something you know but is it the case where the sequence of like what frequencies you're hopping to are known by both parties yeah okay. so they have so they to know be what order okay. yeah mm-hmm. gotcha and so researchers think she came up with the idea for this because she had been just thinking about how remote controls work and radios and generally. 
Like, at home, she could dial a frequency to hear one radio station and a frequency to hear um, another radio station. And she was just like, why not just keep dialing different frequencies to this torpedo to steer it or something? So she came up with the idea and she shared it with a friend of hers, George Antheil, who was a composer, a famous American composer. Is this the part you got This is the music part, yes. Okay. It was a lot more about his music stuff. Yeah, than I, than I, I didn't to know. read about a lot about his music, but um, but there's it is relevant a little bit. Mm-hmm. So she wanted him to help her implement it. He also had an obsession with taking down the Nazis because his brother had flown in a plane that the Nazis like shot mm-hmm. down or something. It's a good obsession point. to have, I yeah. think. Um, I support right. that fully. I mean, yeah, obsession, I guess, that's how it was described in the documentary, but it's like, wasn't everyone kind Obs- of obsessed? Yeah, obsessed with that. Yeah. Obsession but- seems like it's out of proportion with how you should be feeling. Right. Where, like, I feel like you should be as obsessed well, they were with the Nazi. Obsessed or- with, I guess I, I meant, it's meant more like, they're obsessed with being directly involved, like okay. fighting against them, okay. rather than uh, supporting the troops mm-hmm. or something. Like, they wanted to take action, gotcha. maybe more than other people, gotcha. I guess. Okay. Okay, so she would call him in the middle of the night with ideas, and he would take notes, and one day he got an idea for how they could make her secret communication system work. So he was familiar with player pianos. Have you ever heard of those or know how they work? Are they similar to the intro of Westworld? I don't know. It's a sheet of paper that has hole punches yes. in it. And uh-huh. so then that plays the music based on where the holes are. Yeah. Like, okay. Exactly. Gotcha. So, yeah, it's, you know, there's not someone sitting at the piano mm-hmm. playing it. There is, yeah, this sheet of music that's perforated that makes the piano play notes like based on those perforations it just like reads this sheet and plays it and he had composed something symphony i guess (laughs) is it a symphony if it's just pianos is it multiple pianos 16 pianos that seems like a symphony. i would say that's a symphony okay yeah he composed a symphony or music thing concert where he had synchronized 16 pianos to play all at the same time. Player pianos. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So they, he was like, I think we can use this technology with your idea to make a synchronized torpedo communication system. Okay. And they took this idea to the National Inventors Council, who thought it was brilliant, And they helped George and Hetty by setting them up with a physicist at Caltech, Sam Macchione, who helped them design and patent the device. Nice. They gave this invention, or once they had gotten the patent for it, they donated the patent to the Navy because they were like, we want you to use this. And the Navy was essentially like, "Um, what the fuck? (laughs) We can't, like, they, she says, um... She can, like, hear them saying, we can't put a player piano into a torpedo. Like, they thought the idea was ridiculous. Uh-huh. And realistically, like, okay, technology at the time really wasn't quite 
there for them to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. Like, they couldn't make a small enough device, I guess, for this to work. Okay. Which is why they thought... But I think Hetty and George were like, um, hello, we don't actually want you to put a player piano into your GD torpedo. Yeah. Like, make a device like this yes. to put in your torpedo. Yeah. But they were just like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we got a war to fight. We're not going to deal with this. Yeah. And Hetty was kind of really wanted to convince them to use it. But George at that point was a little bit over it yeah. and like felt jaded about it. So the patent was stored away, labeled top secret, and she specifically was told she would be better off not inventing things, but using her beauty to try to raise money for the war. And she did. Fuck that. Yeah. Which is like, that's her whole life is people telling her, you're just beautiful. Yeah. So she went to work for the government on the Bond tour, which was just putting on shows to entertain soldiers and raise money for the war. She sold $25 million in war bonds, so hell yeah, she raised a lot of money for the war. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> like, people would pay, like, tens of thousand dollars to, like, kiss her on the forehead. Uh-huh. And nowadays, that would be worth almost $350 million. Oh my. Yeah. She raised That's a ton of money. crazy. So it's like society would then confirm, like, yeah, you're only good for your beauty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's so what crazy. they're going to value as. Mm-hmm. That sucks. Okay. After the war, in 1946, she decided to, she wanted to start producing her own movies. She didn't like the roles that Louis B. Mayer was giving her because they were all, like, again, these sex symbol roles and not intelligent roles, powerful roles that she wanted. Yeah. So she was like, I'm... I'm gonna do it. Yeah. I'm making my own movies. Which was, like, she was maybe one of the first female producers ever. Her and Betty Davis, I think they said. That's awesome. Um, So she did... She made one movie, and let's see. Then she co-produced another movie right after with her new husband, John Loder, who no one thought was good enough for her. Anyway. Right. Poor dude. Yeah, but they I had mean, two kids. Seems to stick know. around, maybe. That seems nice. No? Soon after the <laughs> soon <laughs> after the birth soon. of their second child, he oh. left her. And she was now a single mother in Hollywood who had just started out trying to produce her own movies. Alright, so maybe he wasn't good enough for her. Never mind. I don't know why I had faith in him. Okay, so she, for a couple of years, she was struggling, no longer working with MGM, so mm-hmm. she didn't have that stable income, really. But luckily, she was offered a part in the movie Samson and Delilah by Cecil B. DeMille, who made, like, The Ten Commandments, and and this was a pretty famous movie for that time. Gotcha. She produced another movie independently, uh, which she was spending, like, millions of dollars producing these movies. That's crazy. Um, and again, she's not a star, has no money. Because that's just how Hollywood is. Like, you're a star for a year. Mm-hmm. And then if you're not constantly in movies, you're forgotten about, right? But she meets a man, a big oil guy who lived in Houston named Howard Lee. And they get married in 1954. All so right. I'm speeding through kind of a lot of her Hollywood stuff because I figure yeah. people are more interested in her. This is a science podcast. <laughs> So that's well, well anyway yeah yes it, yeah but i'm just saying like yeah, yeah yeah there's a lot of movies she starred in i'm not gonna talk about all of them you know 
that she moved to Texas, sort of became a trophy wife. Okay. She was bored. Yeah. Um, they The family visited Aspen and fell in love. She fell in love with it because it reminded her a lot of Vienna. Yeah, it makes sense. And she asked her husband if they could build a ski resort there. And she convinced... Why not start with a house? Just, like, one house, and then... She convinced him to buy some of the land, and she designed the chalet, and then they would rent it out and earn tons of money from it every year. I want to own a chalet. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Her life is crazy. Okay. Howard, however, was an alcoholic, and their marriage was crumbling, and so she moved back to California after a few years. This was after a few years, at least. This poor woman. Yeah, I think she also had had another marriage before Howard, but after the last guy. But that one was really short. It's a lot They're of marriages. They're all pretty short. Yeah. During their divorce proceedings, her son was hit by a car while he was biking. <laughs> he lived, but she was so distraught that she sent her body double to give testimony at her divorce trial. <laughs> Which was a bad move because oh, yeah. the judge was like, this isn't you. And so even though like all she wanted from the divorce settlement was the Aspen chalet, the judge was like, no, like you didn't even show up. Mm. So at that point, she kind of had a nervous breakdown and life was pretty erratic and unstable because she had... Which a lot of it was due to the addiction she developed to speed. Oh, no. During her Hollywood days. And there was this guy who was called Dr. Feelgood. Who, there are songs about Dr. Feelgood. Oh, my God. Um, or his real name is Do- Max Jacobson. But he was essentially a, a drug pusher for the rich and famous. And he prescribed pills and gave shots to pet people up like JFK and people. <laughs> Telling people they were vitamin B shots or vitamin elixirs when actually they were methamphetamine. Oh, those are very different. Yeah. So, again, getting her addicted to speed. So, uh, Hedy Lamar was a patient of his from the 50s until he lost his medical license in 1964. Oh, so he... I thought he just called himself Dr. Feelgood. No, this I didn't was realize like, he was a medical practitioner. Yeah, Shit. which is why all these stars were like going to him. But it's like he was a quack, you know. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, very Hollywood. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, meth is very addictive, and her kids say this time was like pretty traumatic for all of them. Um, Because they were getting older, she became somewhat abusive and out of control, and then she was this famous person. So, uh, of course, the tabloids would, like, yeah. catch on to crazy things she did at this time, uh. too. Like, in 1966, and I think once again a few years later, she was arrested for shoplifting for yeah. department stores. Though, the first time she was acquitted, because she said she it was an accident, the second time, I think she got a year of probation. Okay. She... Wanted to write an autobiography, and she spent a lot of time talking to ghostwriters who eventually published an autobiography called Ecstasy and Me, like that movie she was yeah. in. Yeah, not she, didn't she also did do a ecstasy. lot of ecstasy. Okay. Should have been meth and me, honestly. And, um, but they took a ton of things out of context and changed a bunch of things. Oh, so no. she, like, hates 
hated the autobiography and was like, this is not my life or my story, but it was technically written by her. Oh, no. Yeah, she was, like, fodder for tabloids for, like, quite Uh, a few years. That's awful. It comes around. I promise. All right, all right. I'm holding on. And again, in the book, they made her out to be this really sexual being rather than an intelligent, interesting woman she had always wanted people to see her as. She also felt like she had to live up to the image of being a beautiful woman and get tons of plastic surgery, which in... Her, because she was so inventive, she would tell the surgeons where to cut her so that her scars wouldn't show, and uh-huh. kind of invented new types of plastic <laughs> surgery. <laughs> nice. She's so, always yeah. one step ahead. And people would go to surgeons and be like, I want to look like Hedy Lamar uh-huh. and like, yeah, and get what she has. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Let's see. But the press was pretty mean to her because and would be like, you're old and not beautiful anymore. And like, I mean, the, the press, press is awful. Horrible. Yeah. However, oh, yeah. And eventually she kind of just hid away from the world. Like she's known as being very reclusive in older age. Right. Yeah, I would be, too. But by 1969, her idea for frequency hopping had been put to use in the military. So she didn't know this, but in the 50s, while her patent was still legal, okay. Um, so while she could have been making money off the patent, even though the government didn't tell her, they started using it. Oh, they started using it. And it was one of those things that they said her. that was top secret. So she couldn't talk about it, right? No, she just didn't know. They were using it. They didn't tell her or inform her or pay her or George um, until she sued, I think, later. Yeah. But they started using her technology because, or her invention, Mm -hmm. because technology had caught up about 10 years after she had proposed it, or like 5 or 10 years. And they it was used to make something called a sauna buoy which is a floating submarine detection device that can... So it it sits on top of the ocean, detects submarines down below, and then transmits a signal to an airplane above that there's gotcha. a submarine there. Oh, shit. Yeah. So they used her technology for the first time in that sauna buoy. Gotcha. And then a few years later, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, they started directing torpedoes with her technology which was her original idea um by the time she knew it was being used the patent had expired but i think she sued them Mm -hmm. to get some money eventually and let's see but all in all though before she died she became widely recognized for her invention of frequency hopping that's good which i think by the time she died which was in the year 2000 um, her technology was being used in, like, early versions of Bluetooth, GPS, Wi-Fi, and directing billion-dollar military satellites, <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah. Like, just this kind of... And she wasn't the first person to think of frequency hopping, uh-huh. necessarily, but she was the first to invent something yeah. and, like, really try to put it into practice. Yeah, and gotcha. Yeah, and... Yeah, frequency hopping is often a component of wireless communication systems. 
Um, that allows more users to communicate simultaneously with less signal interference. Yeah. yeah. And so multiple signals can employ the same f- frequency, and if a signal fails or is obstructed, it can hop to another one. Gotcha. Which is why it's used in all these technologies. Yeah. So, um, let me see. The American Electronic Frontier Foundation gave her their Pioneer Award in 1997 when she was 84. And this was, she was so very honored for this award. Mm -hmm. But she, um, she wouldn't leave her apartment to go accept it in person, but she did have her son accept it for her. And plays a recording of hers over the microphone. Did she just not want to be seen and get more yeah, tabloid she, shenanigans yeah, in she her old like, age? just wasn't leaving her apartment at oh. that point. Yeah. But, so, so yeah, while a lot of her life was marred in tragedy, there was this final recognition toward the end of her life that she was this really intelligent woman who mm-hmm. invented a technology that we all use was, every day. Yeah. Now widely used around the world and necessary for the new age, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And then she died um, at the age of 86 or 87 in January, 2000. And that's Hedy Lamar's life. Crazy life. That is crazy. But it, it I mean, it's good that she got recognition yeah. of it during her life. I, yeah. I was I was under the impression it was mostly after her life. So it's nice to hear that she right. um, knew of people's recognition yeah. of her. So that's good. And it's cool. The, the documentary is really cool because mm-hmm. it has some of the only, like, well, I mean, not the only footage of her talking because she's an actress in yeah. a bunch of movies. <laughs> what? But, like, one of the few, like, real interviews gotcha. of her that okay. she ever gave. And it's pretty interesting to hear her talk about the inventions. Yeah. Which no one else had ever asked her about. Yeah. Like, in her whole life. <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah, highly recommend awesome. watching Bombshell. Bombshell. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Cool. Good, because I, I didn't know how to do that one, so I kept avoiding it. I mean, if I... Yeah, I kept avoiding it, too, but people keep saying they want to hear about it. I know. It. Well, <laughs> now you've heard it. You've yeah. heard the whole story. Yeah. You can hear more by watching things. All right. Should we work, work? Work, mm-hmm. work, 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 All right. This is the Women Who Work section, the part of our podcast we where we give shout-outs to badass women doing... Uh, making history today. Yeah. Herstory. Worstory. No, wait. No! <laughs> Vestory. Herstory. No! <laughs> Herstory. Worstory. Oh my god. Okay, let's start again. <laughs> Alright. This is the Women Who Work section. The part of our podcast where we talk about badass women making herstory today. Yeah. So, uh, mine's a really quick shout out. So, my shout-out goes to Caroline Criado Perez for her new book called Invisible Women, Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. Oh. So, I haven't read this, but I saw it come up, and I'm pretty excited to look at it. But essentially, it describes the ways in which data collection often ignores women and is based on data collected by men and how this can lead to infrastructure uh, that isn't designed for women and actually can have... Uh, lead to stronger health consequences for women. Yeah. Um, so they give a lot of examples um, and go through a lot of data. So that seems like 
if that's something you're interested in, the book's out now. I'm excited to read it. Yeah. Um, but that's my shout out. So I'll I'll, I'll maybe do a, a report back once <laughs> I've actually read it. But I've read um a couple articles either that are referencing the book okay. or or just similar. But yeah, it's insane. Like things like um cars are yeah. designed for women yeah. because they're only tested with male dummies mm-hmm. with dummies that are the average male height and size and yeah like, so that's like that's bad yeah <laughs> so most women as you know yeah. we all probably know are generally except you know some of us well we're both tall, we're both yeah. tall but like generally women are smaller than men and so they have to kind of move up move their seats up which uh-huh. isn't the like recommended within the recommended you know Area. seating position yeah. of cars so they're not testing how their cars affect yeah. At, like, women, when they have to have their cars, or when they have to have their seats pushed up. Yeah, right. And so there's actually, like, higher fatalities mm-hmm. of women driving than men. Yeah, it's insane. It's yeah, really so bad. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Um, I'm excited to see, yeah. to read that. Yeah, I've been, that's been sort of on my list for a while. Yeah. And then grad school. Sometimes it's we'll hard to read time. things. <laughs> you guys read and report back. Yeah. We can only do so much. <laughs> Um, yeah awesome nice yeah so that's my shout out so if you're interested in that you can check it out cool yeah all right so that was our episode if you liked it if you want to support us if you want to support us getting the message out about badass women Uh, today and yesterday yeah um, and future and future (laughs) uh please rate review subscribe we read all of them we really like when people cherish them we cherish them i send them to emma if i find them first and i'm like i just send her a bunch of hearts so if you want us to text each other about you and what you say about (laughs) us please please write us a review um and then also thanks to caitlin for all the awesome art it's going to be, when this episode comes out, it's almost going to be our anniversary <gasps> oh! of the podcast. And I'm hoping, we'll, we'll put it on Twitter, I think, if we end up having some kind of new fun merch right, for our birthday. Right. So look out for that. We'll tweet about it if that's a thing that we get our act yeah, together and actually that do like, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do that. Um, and then thanks to Artichoke for our awesome theme music. Yeah. And um, as always... Go Go stimulate yourself! yourself.